I made the mistake of putting a mint in my mouth right before I came up here. So I'm going to chew that real quick. <laughs> well, today's the last day of Advent, uh, as far as the Sundays go. Uh, Advent's this annual time when the, the church historically remembers and, and celebrates the arrival of the most significant person in the history of the entire world, uh, the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ in flesh. Uh, and, and since we've been preaching through the uh, Christ's birth recently in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to go back to the, the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to be looking at it from a little different perspective. Uh, it's actually the same passage Christy was reading earlier in Matthew, Matthew 1. Uh, and the idea is because when we read through Luke, it never mentions much about Joseph. But we, we see what's going on with Joseph and Matthew. So we're going to head over that way uh, today. So if you will, open up to Matthew chapter 1 uh, and follow along. I'm going to be reading starting in verse 18. All the way through 25 again. And I know it's redundant. Christy did a great job reading it, but I'm going to read it again so it's fresh in our minds here. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in, in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken in the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. God, you are love, and you have loved your people in a way that we simply can't get our infinite or finite minds around. Still, you have shown your love in the Incarnation, and we ask that you would enlighten our minds and give us faith to believe it today and every day. For in it we see your love for your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this time of year, people often ask that question, what, what is Christmas all about? Or, or what's the meaning of Christmas when you really get down to it? Uh, and while it took Charlie Brown an entire Christmas special to really get to the answer, uh, I think we as Christians actually have a, a pretty good understanding on it of it to begin with, right? It's all about the birth of Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is about. It's when we celebrate Jesus' birthday, which, to be fair, is, is not likely his actual birth date. And, and while there's various explanations as to uh, when his birth date would have been and why this, this date was picked to celebrate his birthday, uh, we're not going to deal with that today because none of those explanations are, are really important when it comes down to us understanding uh, what the true meaning of Christmas is about. Christmas is about the love of God for sinners like you and like me. That, that's what Christmas is ultimately about. So I want us to consider this passage we have before us that you've now heard twice this morning, uh, read to you. And, and so, you know, uh, it uses this word right from the beginning, right? Betrothed. Now, unless you're one of those people that's watching uh, Downton Abbey on reruns, you probably haven't heard that word in a very long time. Uh, see, we, we tend to just equate that word with uh, engagement, right? They're, they're engaged. It's this idea of a promise to marry somebody. 
And yet when we're talking about betrothed and their culture and their understanding, it's a much bigger deal than, than just a promise because it was, it was legally binding commitment between these two people. Right? So that's more significant than the way we use it. That's, that's precisely, in fact, why in the ESV, it doesn't translate betrothed into engaged, even though that's a more common term in our own, own language. It, re, it retains that term because it actually carries that legal meaning. And so to help us understand then that, that Joseph and Mary have this, this legal binding, right, to, this commitment to be, to be absolutely uh, married at this point. So anyway, um, most, most likely then their parents arranged this. These are things we don't often think about. But they would have arranged this. They would have shared a, a bride price of some short, sort, which all this stuff is strange to us. But that's what's going on here. And, and once they had their blessing, right, of their parents, this was announced publicly. Everybody now knows that Mary and Joseph, they are betrothed. They're going to get married. And yet after that, there's this waiting period of about a year before the actual wedding would, would occur. Now, since betrothal was a legal status, the only way that that waiting that, that could be broken off uh, was, was either through death or through divorce. Those were the two things that actually could bring that to an end. That, that's why in this passage, even though they're not married, we see that Joseph is referred to as Mary's husband, right? Uh, it's also important to note here that uh, sexual relations were not permitted during this time of betrothal. Uh, the bride would have lived with her parents still, even though they were, they were betrothed, and he would have lived somewhere else probably nearby. Uh, so it's hard to, to see that, this, what this, that the situation here looked an awful lot, right? When we're looking at it, it looks an awful lot like Mary is incredibly guilty of being unfaithful to Joseph during this period. That's what it looks like on the surface. That, that's what it would have appeared like, right? right yeah. Would have appeared like. So, so think about this for a minute. If you're Joseph and you're talking to your fiance and suddenly she tells you, Joseph... I'm pregnant. What do you do with that information? Right? Joseph's not an idiot. He has enough understanding of how biology works to understand, you know, he's 100% certain that he is not the father of this child. I mean, what do you think Mary's thinking at this moment, right? We, we're not told what she said, but, but you can imagine right here, uh, you know, it, it couldn't have been very easy for her. I mean, keep in mind, well, Mary is incredibly embarrassed by this on some level. As you explain it, there's no way you wouldn't be, you know, incredibly anxious, anxious at this moment. She's also completely innocent. But she's the only one that really understands that at this point. Because Mary knows she has been absolutely faithful to Joseph. Mary knows she's been faithful to the Lord. But even she knows that she looks guilty. And she knows she can't prove this in any way. And so you picture yourself, right, as a fly on the wall in this moment. As Mary tries to explain this innocence, innocence to Joseph, you know. Even she knows, I just, this, this sounds insane, but, but here's what's going on, right? Uh, you know, Joseph, don't, don't be upset. I, I've been faithful. I promise I have. It's, it's God, through the Holy Spirit, he's made me pregnant, yeah, right. He certainly doesn't believe her. I mean, think about it. Would you believe that story? It's an impossible explanation at this point. So, so then he's faced with these three options that come to his mind. Because at this point, all he can think is she's been unfaithful to me. So his three options are he could marry her anyway. But, but if he did do that, it's a public admission that he is, he is guilty, right? 
his guilt. It would be proclaiming that, that Mary is pregnant as a result of his own sin with her. That's what everyone in his world would think happened. Or he could publicly divorce her. Now, this involves going through the Jewish courts where there'd be a publicly, she'd be publicly disgraced. Everyone would have to know what happened. But, but the upside to Joseph in this situation is his name would be clean. She has been guilty of this sin, but Joseph comes off, you know, as, as the innocent in this, in this moment. We see what a kind man he is because he decides to take this third option. It says uh, he decides to divorce her quietly. Now, divorce her quietly is a technical term. It doesn't just, uh, it's not just explaining the situation. It's a, a, uh, one of the options they had here. It means to, uh, to do so privately with no public court case, right? So you only needed two witnesses and, and, and the people involved in this, and it was done real quietly on the side. There was no public aspect to this. Sure, word would get down around somehow, right? But, but it wouldn't have been so public. And, and we're told that, 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 you know, we're not told if she knew that Joseph planned to divorce her, but she at least knows that's a possibility because they talk to each other and then he goes away to, to think about it, right? Because he knows everything that's going on before the angel actually visits him. He, you know, you can only imagine, right? That there's just the pain these two are going through. My, my heart hurts just to imagine the anguish that, that this young 12, 13, 14-year-old girl is going through in this moment. Feeling rejected by the man who's supposed to, to love her in this moment. And all because of something God is doing through her, for her. The opportunity to be at angry... Uh, to be angry at God is, is absolutely there. You can imagine her thinking, you know, God, I, I have been faithful. I have remained sexually pure. And, and now you've, you, you've called on me to carry this child. And it looks like I may lose my husband. I, I am going to face public shame. Why, God? Why in the world would you do this to me? It'd be difficult for Mary to believe that God loves her in this moment. Very difficult. I think there's some irony then because this is the very event, the very moment where God is actually doing something amazing and showing just how great his love is, not only for Mary, but for everyone whom he will redeem. And so Joseph is, is going to spare Mary, right, the public shame, and he, he goes about the plan to divorce her. But then in verse 20, we, we see this beautiful conjunction, right? Anytime we see the word but in Scripture, it's kind of this, this change of direction, something unexpected. Uh, look at verse 20 again, right? This will be the third time you hear it today. Uh, verse 20, but as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, if I'm honest, when Laura and I were engaged, not betrothed, but engaged, um, if she came to me and told me I am pregnant, right, and God caused this pregnancy, I would not have believed her. I just couldn't. It seemed like too crazy of a story. I, I would assume that, that she's either lying or she's crazy and lying. You know, one of those two things. But, but, but you know what would have convinced me about the only thing on the planet, the world, that would have convinced me? An actual, real, angelic being visiting me or visiting me in a dream with a message from God. That's what it would take. That would do it. In this moment, then we're seeing something beautiful happen here. You see, what, what, what's the solution to Joseph's fears in this moment, right? The, the solution is this belief, it's, it's this trust that he has. In the, in the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 56, verse 3, it says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in God. 
And Joseph here had to trust that God was doing this. He had to trust that God could and did actually make Mary pregnant in this miraculous way. Trusting that that God loves him, even as he places him in this this incredibly awkward, embarrassing, shameful social situation that he's going to have to navigate if he goes forward trusting the Lord here. But one of the things we we see here, we see in Scripture often, is that that trust is always the solution to to fear. It is. I I remember when our our girls were real little and they were learning to, to swim... Uh, the instructors had this incredible bubble, they call it, I guess. It's, a, it's like a turtle shell of foam on the back, and it would snap around the front of you uh, with, with a belt. And, and when you were wearing it, you simply could not sink. It would keep you above the water. And the instructors explained this to the girls, and then both of them, you know, shook their head. Okay, yeah, we know. Uh, they understood how it worked. And yet one of the girls believed the instructor, and the other, the other did not. Not at all. And the experience for the two girls was, it was incredibly different. For, for the one who trusts, or who did not trust, she, she was brought into the water and she would cling to the instructor with claws and marks. And, you know, as a parent, you're like, do we have to pay extra for this? This is not good. Um, just incredibly miserable. For weeks, she would, she would cry and, and just wasn't learning to swim because she didn't trust that this bubble was going to hold her. The one who did trust just jumped in with joy, excited, swimming around, happy as could be. Uh, no fear, no anxiety in this moment. Now, the other eventually learned to trust the bubble. And, and when she did, the fear went away and the joy returned. And, and she learned to swim like a little fish before it was over. Uh, that, that's the way it is. And in fact, later, they, when the bubbles came off, they had to trust Laura and I. Because there's always that moment, right? They, they had to trust us when, when we'd say to them, this, this water is deep to you, but it's not deep to me. My, my feet are on solid ground here. I can hold you. I will not let you ground. And, and again, their anxieties went, a moment, went away the moment they learned to, to trust us. See, see, Joseph had to trust God in, in this moment, and he did, and he stops being afraid, and he takes Mary as his wife, and, and his actions are what we see that indeed he, he trusted the Lord here. So now the, the angel has this message from God, and again, I'm going to read it to you again, starting in verse 21. You can follow along. <clears throat> says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. And so Joseph learns five things from this message that the angel leaves here. First, what we've already looked at, right? That, you know, that his wonderful fiance has indeed been faithful and was being completely honest before. He learned to trust her there. Second, he learns that Mary is going to have a baby boy. Now, in our day and age, we just cruise by that, right? Well, of course, they did a sonogram. They found they had a boy. There were no sonograms. The idea that you could know what the gender of your child was back in this day, that is a crazy thing, right? That's a, a prophecy in and of itself. <clears throat> and so he learns that. He knows the child of his, or the gender of his child before uh, he's even born. Third, Joseph is told <clears throat> what to name uh, his son. He's given the name. We try that all the time. I, I want the uh, Sears to name their child Nehemiah this time. But, uh, you know, in this case, this has a little more weight, a lot more weight actual weight. 
Um, so God, you know, shows his love to us in the name that's actually given to this child. The, the name is Jesus. And you see, Jesus is this, is this Greek term. It's a, a form of the, the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua and Jesus, actually the, the same name, different languages. Which, which literally translates to Jehovah is salvation. And, and this name thing actually leads to the fourth thing that, that he learns here. Uh, that this is going to be absolutely no ordinary child because this child is bringing salvation to the people of God. Now, now did you notice in this that, that the angel doesn't say that Jesus comes to free the Jews from the Romans, right? That's what the expectation might be, but he doesn't say that. He, he says very specifically that, uh, to save his people from their sins. In Acts 4.12, uh, we learn the eternal significance of Jesus' name. It says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. None. No other name. Which is why, you know, as Christians, we profess faith uh, not in some general idea of God, theistic idea. We, we profess our faith in a specific name, the name of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. Now, as I studied this, I got stumped on something. Maybe, maybe you've noticed this before. And I think sometimes as Christians, when we see this, you kind of panic. You're like, those don't match up. What's going on here? Uh, because the angel says the, uh, to name the child Jesus because he's going to save his people. And then he points to this, this, uh, this prophecy from Isaiah 7.12, right? And the prophecy from Isaiah 7.12 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, is his name Emmanuel or is his name Jesus? Right? Well, why did the prophecy say, name this boy Emmanuel, and the angel says, no, name him Jesus? So, so try to remember this. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. Emmanuel means God is with us. Those are not the same name, but, but, but the angel, right, is going to get to this. Uh, uh, and so the reason that the angel says this is that Emmanuel was not to be the name uh, specifically that he's called by, but a description. Now, if that sounds like a cop-out, let me try to help you understand that there are a lot of things that Jesus was told to be called in prophecy. Um, Isaiah 9, 6, it was in our call to worship this morning. Uh, uh, the word name is used there, but it's used as a, as a description. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Can you hear this without trying to sing? The version of the song? Okay. Uh, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, these are, are names that describe who Jesus is, but they're not his actual name. Which is really helpful for us as Christians when you think about it. We, you know, how often do you say something like, Jesus is my Lord? Right? If these weren't descriptions, but these were an official name, we'd have to say things like, Emmanuel, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Jesus, Son of the Most High, is my Savior. That'd be confusing. Now, the, the birth of Jesus then fulfills the prophecy of being called Emmanuel because Jesus is God. Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity. And in his birth, God comes to dwell among us, God with us. See, in the Gospel of John, the, the very first sentence speaks uh, of Jesus in this way. He, he's called the Word, not Jesus here. Again, a different name. Uh, and it reads this, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then 13 verses later in the same chapter of John, John 1.14, we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's right, it's right to call Jesus Emmanuel, because 
in Christ, that is God with us, truly, truly with us. So then the next morning, Joseph wakes up, and, and what does he do? We see his trust, we see his belief. Uh, verse 24 there tells us, uh, when he woke from sleep, he, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. He trusted God. Fears are removed, not because the situation's going to be any easier, but the fears are removed and he obeys the Lord. See, even, even though Joseph had resolved to divorce Mary quietly, he, he now does what God desires him to do. We can learn from this. We, Joseph's not worried at this point what people are going to think about him. He's not worried about wrong assumptions that are going to be made. If people think, oh, he's an idiot for believing this. He got duped. Doped. You know, he's, he's obeying the Lord. That's what he's doing. He takes Mary, to, Mary as his wife. And, and so in the incarnation, we, we see the love of God for his people. We, we see the love of God for us. See, in a few ways, let me give you a few. And God shows his love by his presence. He comes to live among his creation. We see God's love by, by his provision. He provides the, the perfect life, the, the perfect sacrifice that re- redemption is going to require. We, we see God's love by, by his promise. He, he fulfills this promise that, that first is mentioned, you know, vaguely, obscurely, but mentioned first in, in Genesis 3.15, right after the fall. A promise that through the rest of the Old Testament begins to unfold in, in more, more detail. And ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, you know, Jesus will show the love of God by the life he lives, the death he dies, the salvation he accomplishes, and the hope that he brings through the resurrection. Now, there's one last thing I want to help us see today is that, that God not only loved us, but, but God loves us today. <clears throat> Christian, do you believe that? With all the things going on in your life, it's easy to evaluate your life and, and, and question that sometimes. Do, do you know today, moment by moment, when things are going well and when things are going poorly, that you are a child of God by faith in Jesus? If that's you, then God indeed loves you. Now, you might remember, I've shared this before, but a few years ago, I, I went to this church planter retreat uh, down in Arkansas in some little town I can't even remember the name of now. Uh, and on the first morning, I, I got up early and I wandered into the kitchen and I met this 74-year-old woman from Liberia. Uh, she told me her name was Miss Fifi. Um, that's what her name was. And later she showed me on a jar of barbecue sauce labeled Miss Fifi's Barbecue Sauce, uh, that indeed that's her name. Now, she, she was cooking breakfast for 35 men while I sat there and cracked a few pecans watching. I could go back. I probably would help her a little more. Uh, but anyway, we had this conversation, and I, I you said, you know, Liberia, huh? I don't even know where Liberia is. I couldn't tell you on a map what continent's on. Um, but I, I asked her, Liberia, huh? how, how in the world did you end up in Arkansas? And her face just lit up. She says, because God is so good. God is so good. I questioned that at that point. Uh, she's in Arkansas. Uh, <laughs> she, she told me about this war in her country after that. She said, my, my father was killed during the war. And <clears throat> she traveled to the United States. She was real young at the time. She traveled to the United States just a few days before the war began. And as she's telling me this, I'm thinking, oh, this is a terrible story. 
And at the same time that I'm thinking that, she says, God is so good to me. She tells me she, she married this, this unbelieving man and he later divorced her because she couldn't have children. And that distressed her greatly. And she says, but then God provided her a new husband who deeply loved the Lord Jesus. And she asked me, why is God so good to me? And I don't know what to say to her at that moment, right? Is this a real question? But she just keeps saying this. Why is God so good to me? Uh, she says they, they just gave up hope for, for children. And then unexpectedly, at the age of 42, she, she becomes pregnant. A few years later, she becomes pregnant again. They, they have two children. And she asked me again, why is God so good to me? Her and her, her new husband helped start a, a church the church building is just starting to crumble and it gets to the point where it can't be inhabited anymore. And so they, they give their own house and say, this will be the church building from now on. And uh, at, the, at this point, she, she confesses to me. She tells me, you know, back then I didn't like or trust white people. I told her I still don't. <laughs> but then she, she tells me she's introduced that God brings this, this white man into her life, right? This is someone who she doesn't like at all. And this white man's with some organization that decides they're going to build, build their home since they don't have a home, since they're sharing a building with their church building at this point. And, and she asked me again, why? Why is God so good to me? And then she tells me, you know, three weeks before this conversation we're having, three weeks before that her husband had died, he was at the church building uh, preparing a pastor appreciation event and, and had a heart attack. And she said, you know, I wasn't surprised that he died serving the Lord because he was always serving the Lord. And she shares how distressed she's been because she says this funeral is going to cost $7,000 just to bury my husband. I didn't have $7,000. Only that same white man that she didn't trust before shows up again. And he says the organization wants to pay for the entire funeral for him. And can you guess what she says to me next? Why is God so good to me? Now, if I'm honest, this might show some of my cynicism, but I can't pronounce that word. Um, the whole conversation we're having this, I just, I just kept thinking and, and, and seeing and thinking. I'm seeing ways that, that in my estimate, God had failed her. Ways that God had failed to love her in the way that I kind of thought love should look. And the whole time, Miss Fifi kept pointing me back to just how wonderfully the Lord had loved her through it all. You know, with, with genuine joy, she just kept saying, I, I say to the Lord, I don't know why you love this African woman so much. Now, I want you to think about your own life, your own perspective. When's the last time you just prayed, Lord, I don't know why you love me so much. You, you and I, we, we need to learn to look for the ways that God is loving us throughout our days, throughout our weeks, throughout our lives, to, to see it because it's, it's there. We just tend to look other places. And I, I want to suggest that as we come to this Christmas time, that we start with the love that God has shown us in the birth of Christ for, for evidence, for proof, for a statement of just how deeply God has loved us. Because Christian, God has proven his love for you in this, this miracle, this act of the advent with, with Jesus coming to dwell among his people for the purpose of dying as a sacrifice for us for our sins. 
I mean, let us read this in the scriptures and, and proclaim in our, in our hearts and, and with our lips this, this, this same statement that I hear Miss Fifi say so much. You know, Lord, I don't know why you love me so much. But God, you are so good to me. You do what I can't do. You know, let us embrace the good news of the incarnation, no matter what bad news you may face today or the days ahead. In your, if your faith is in Jesus, you are a child of God with a heavenly Father who loves you deeply and has redeemed you eternally. God loves us so much that as we are celebrating at this time of Advent this year, every year, we are, you know, He loves us so much that He came down to dwell among us so that He could make a way for us to dwell with Him forever. And He did. He accomplishes that. Let's pray. Lord, today we celebrate your story. A story that tells how your love for your people led you to take action to save them. Action that cost you dearly. Teach us to trust you, God, to trust your love for us and the sending of Jesus, but also to trust your love for us no matter how difficult a situation we find ourselves in today. God, you are bigger than everything, stronger than everything. Help us to trust that your feet are on solid ground, even when ours are not. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.